Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. This is number 30, uh, and today we're looking at Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, and this will be the first of a two-parter, because there's just too much to cover in one here at this stage. So GBS is a clinically important diagnosis for both the emergency department and the intensive care unit. It's rare-ish, but common enough that you'll at least suspect it often enough in the emergency department. And many ICUs will have one long-stay ICU patient with GBS every few years, and a short-stay one more often than that. It has the right mix of just enough clinical findings to diagnose from clinical exam, but also has some novel test characteristics and some lovely management options and discussion points, making it all very examinable. The pathophysiology I was taught was that of molecular mimicry. So some foreign antigen is introduced and has a structure similar enough to the wiring insulation wrapping our nerves that the antibody produced binds not only to this foreign antigen, but also to the native nervous tissue. This leaves the myelins and uh, myelin sheaths and axons suspect to the full rigours of an immune system crackdown, um, somewhat similar to a US Marshal's office on a manhunt for Richard Kimball. Some of these pathogenic antibodies even have complicated named acronyms. Neutralising such acronyms with something like IVIG or washing it out of the blood with um, plasmapheresis forms the basis of treatment for the disease. The antigen associated with GBS is classically Campylobacter jejuni, which probably carries a worse prognosis than other precipitants. But things like flu, HIV and mycoplasma are also on the list as alternative precipitants for GBS. So vaccination was always on my list here of precipitants, but this seems somewhat in doubt. And given how common vaccinations are and how rare GBS is, it's tricky to separate out causation from background rate. Indeed, the risk of GBS from the flu itself is well in excess of any potential rate from the flu vaccine. The breakdown of the blood nerve barrier at the point of the peripheral nerves enter and leave the spinal canal allows blood plasma proteins to enter the CSF, which is the rationale for the high protein on LP that we'll come back to in a second. So to make what was already a complex disease more complicated, it is divided into four subtypes, uh, four subtypes of which AIDP is acute inflammatory in, uh, I'm going to struggle with this list. AIDP, acute inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. And then you've got MFV, the Miller Fisher variant. You've got AMAN, acute motor axonal neuropathy. And AMSAN, acute motor and sensory axonal neuropathy. The last two, the AMAN and the AMSAN, are perhaps significant for being an axonopathy as opposed to being demyelinization. Now that you've heard that these things exist, you can reproduce it for exams and then you can promptly forget them for clinical work as AIDP, the acute inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, is by far the most common and we treat it largely the same even if the prognosis varies between the other types. Most of the diagnosis here is clinical and with not only the history but real life and bona fide clinical examination findings actually being a genuinely useful part of the diagnosis. In the ICU the diagnosis is usually fairly easy as they will come with a label of possible GBS in the referral. The ED diagnosis is much more of a challenge as they present often before the textbook findings are there. Pain in the legs with an odd or supported gait has been a common presentation in my limited experience and the weakness in the legs may be subtle at this point and is often dismissed by idiots like myself as secondary to pain. The real challenge in the ED lies in locating a tendon hammer, which is of course a somewhat mythical device in the ED and the much talked about and rarely seen Miller-Fisher variant has more dominant cranial nerve findings. So once we have identified ascending weakness and demonstrated reduced reflexes, the next test we reach for is typically the LP, the lumbar puncture. As mentioned above, you should go looking for a high protein and a normal cell count. So this finding is termed albuminocytological dissociation, which was a key part in the discovery and labelling of the illness back in the early 20th century. The finding is 
present in a deeply underwhelming 66% of those with GBS. So it's practically of no use if there's an entirely normal LP, as your clinical findings will trump any everything and they may well still have GBS. That being said, I'm sure neurology will find lots of random antibodies to send on the CSF, so it's still probably worth sending. The presence of protein increases over the first couple of weeks of the disease, so a repeat LP might well be useful also. The twitchy electrode needle type tests do have specific findings depending on the type of GBS you're dealing with, but I struggle to see any relevance of those to what we do in critical care. So that's it for this post, and next time we'll cover management, and this is largely taken from O's Manual, Chapter 58. <laughs>